And welcome to the Audio Choke at MMATorch.com. Also on iTunes, download us, take us uh, wherever, because this is a love letter <laughs> to mixed martial arts from the 49th state. I'm Greg Rowan. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Matt Collins. Please feel free to leave a comment. Also, you can uh, go to the MMA Torch Forum, and we're on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, follow us at Audio Joke. Yes, at Twitter.com, Facebook.com, all that good stuff. So let's uh, get discussion going. I mean, do we have, we obviously have... Um, UFC on Versus. Right. How about, about that show? Eh? Yes. I thought it was uh, quite entertaining. It was, I, you know, I, it wasn't bad. I didn't get a good, I didn't have like a good vibe coming out of it. Maybe, and, and, and you know, not like the shows have to appease me personally, but uh, I don't know. It was, maybe it was just like kind of the weird ending to some of the fights. There was a couple of injuries and stuff, so. Yeah, there was a couple of off, uh, weird, weird endings on the earlier ones and just the, uh, it wasn't a good day to be an eyeball, I guess. Yeah, or, uh, you know, a forehead uh, of a grounded opponent, for that matter. Uh, I got to give props to Herb Dean, who was all over that stuff this show. He uh, he had his hands full, refing both the uh, the Czech Congo-Paul Buentello fight and then the uh, main event with Brandon Vera and John Jones, and both of them had a uh, illegal foul in there that he was all over. And then both of them kind of had a second one in there, too, and... Uh, uh, the the second foul in the the Brandon Vera John Jones fight was kind of iffy. Goldberg said it was uh, a up kick that hit the shoulder, um, not the head. It looked like Brandon Vera just did the same thing a second time as soon as they restarted the action with the uh, up kicks while John Jones was on top of him. But um, John, I, uh, Jones seemed to handle that second one a lot better though, and that's probably why. It yeah. Didn't stop. As it turns out, it didn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't matter. He was getting ready to f Brandon Vera up from that point. Yeah, it broke his uh, or some of his orbital bones. I oh think. wow! Yeah. I'm not a doctor, so but he broke something in his face. Yeah, his eye. he broke his skull. I yeah. believe is what he did. <laughs> uh, so that's what you get, Brandon Vera, for talking all that smack about how uh, he's got to shut his mouth, otherwise you might end his career. Which is uh, a little something that was in the hype there. Yeah, almost <laughs> the opposite of what happened. <laughs> yes, the launch was not delayed. Um, and John, John Jones, Jones is just uh, shooting up there even faster now. That's scary. He's only 22. Yeah, um, I mean, at, at this point, you know, Brandon Vera is not like a top, top guy, but he's, you know, he's fringe top 10, top 15. I, I don't know exactly where one would rank him, but, I mean, he's certainly up there. He, he's more than just a name. He's not the best, but he, he's not like just a completely overhyped guy anymore. He, he's lost some matches, but they've been to some pretty uh, top tier guys. So, uh you know, to beat him is good on you in any respect, but to beat him this convincingly, uh, I mean, that's a big statement. It's not time to give John Jones a title shot yet or anything, but uh, he needs uh, he needs another nice big step up. I kind of personally thought this was a little more of a lateral movement. Everyone was making a big deal about how Brandon Vera was like the, this huge test for him, um, but I didn't really see him as being that much higher than Matt Hamill personally. Yeah, and, and I kind of thought I, I was kind of on uh, on with Vera being a bigger test for John Jones, and you know we can debate that all day if we want to. But yeah, it was just because I, I saw Brandon uh, Brandon Vera being more of a well-rounded opponent than someone uh, John Jones had fought before. But again, it, it didn't really end up mattering. Uh, I, I picked John Jones to win actually, but just I, I thought it might end up going to a decision or lasted uh, last longer than that. I didn't think it would end up like that, especially the way he was, uh, you know, uh, on the ground. He was 
looked like Vera had a couple opportunities to go for his arm or something like that. He was just yeah, open he, for him to roll to, and he tried. He looked like he kind of went at it once, but uh, I, I was kind of surprised Vera didn't do more to go after one of John Jones' arms during, when he was when he was on his back. He looked like he was starting to set it up, but never really got to the point where he was ready to pull the trigger. Yeah, Is that, that could be a weak spot in John Jones's uh, game right there because he left that arm open a couple times. Didn't matter once again. Yeah. Well, and you know when the announcers start pointing out that, like, I'm really surprised he hasn't gotten his arm himself armboard yet. It's kind of like one of those things where I mean, yeah, it's, it, and again, it hasn't mattered yet. But yeah, it's something definitely to keep an eye out for. But uh, I mean, he's got he's got years ahead of him. So yeah. So I mean, that's a situation where he could get caught against some of the uh, the upper level jujitsu guys in the game. Um, say he fights uh, Little Nogera. Um, you know, just throwing that name out there. There's a few other guys who are uh, really good fighting off their back and uh, could catch him in a submission. But, um, you know, like John Jones seems to be pretty spectacular standing up, too. So we didn't see it at all in this fight. But um, just because uh, he's got holes in his jiu-jitsu doesn't mean he uh, can't win a fight. Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's you could say that about most fighters. Is they have holes here and there, but... Uh... I think the nice thing with John Jones is he has he has the years to work on it. Where some fighters that have holes in their games have had those holes in their games for years. And yeah, just kind of the way they are, you know. Like Tito Ortiz is never going to have good stand up. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But John Jones, like you say, he's young, so he's still got the the sponge like brain. Where you know, uh, there, there's definitely some truth to the saying the the old dog new tricks thing. Right. right. Um. I mean, you look at Mark Holman; he's been the same fighter for ten years. He's just you know. And aging is really all he has done in that time. And, um, you know, John Jones is not in that situation because he's so young. And he's in what's probably the best camp in the sport right now, in uh, Greg Jackson's camp. Uh, Greg Jackson is, uh, you know, he's got all kinds of winners on his team. Uh, Keith Jardine has kind of dropped off the map recently. And it uh, looks like John Jones is filling in his slot quite nicely next to Rashad Evans, who, uh, you know, they, they might be creating a new dam there. Yeah, it'd be cool if he fought either of those guys, except for he can't. So going back to that, um, now the position was broken by the foul, the up kick, yes, and then brought right back. Is that a is that a new thing for UFC? You know, like I, that was the first time I've ever seen the ref ask them because Herb Dean asked John Jones if he wanted his position back, and and John what said, a polite yes. thing he said, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's a, I don't think that's a new rule or not. It's just again, it's the first time I've kind of heard it. Before. Um. I think it's pretty much up to the referee's uh, discretion. I know that there was a really big outcry several years ago when Dwayne Ludwig fought Genki Sudo, and uh, the fight was on the ground, and I forget what exactly the foul was, or it might have even been a cut. But they stop the fight when it's on the ground, and uh, they, they stand the two guys up because that was just the precedent at the time. And then Dwayne Ludwig, being the stand-up guy, ends up winning that round, and he did win the round um, because of that. But he, you know, he, he at the same time he earned the round. Um, but it just kind of gave a, a bad taste in everyone's mouth because he ended up winning the fight by one round. And um, as a result of that, they kind of looked at that rule, be like, well, that rule directly affected this fight. So then they started putting fights together back on the ground. Like I said, this is the first time I've seen the ref give the choice to the guy. But I'm all for that. You know, if you're in a advantageous position and the other guy fouls you. I see no reason why you should lose your position. Maybe if John was the guy who fouled Brandon, it would be another story. Um, where, like, all right, you had an advantageous position and you fouled him. You lose your position as part of the punishment. But I see no reason why uh, 
why Brandon should get out of that position just because he felt because that would set a precedent where it's like if you're in a bad position, just right. start throwing all kinds of illegal moves because uh, then you're going to get a stand-up. Yeah, be bad news. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I agree with agree with that. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, just kind of going back to like you know where these guys go from here. I guess you know. Yeah. I, Hopefully, I mean... How do you heal your skull? Yeah, you know, take you, some time Yeah, off. you wait a while. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the... I don't think Brandon Vera is, like, a bad fighter or anything like that, but I think, you know, because when he first came into the UFC, you know, back when he was, you know, John Jones' age or, you know, a little bit older even, but, you know, he had a lot of the same kind of hype going around him, and I think that's kind of cooled off. And not to say that it's cooled off and, like, people are now, like, should be down on him, but he's just kind of... He's leveled off as a fighter where he, he's kind of more of that, uh, you know, like, the mid-card or... I, I, you know, a gatekeeper type guy or, or someone who's good to test, you know, up and coming prospects against. And like, he's, you know, if you can get past a Brandon Vera yeah. or, or a couple of those other fighters in that same area, then you're, you're kind of ready for the next level. Yeah. And that's not a bad place to be at all. It's, oh no, he's probably got plenty of job security. Yeah. Too. He's not going to go up anytime soon, but he's, yeah, he's, he's right. a lot of people are going to have to go through yeah. him. Yeah. He's going to reach that gonna, next level. He's going to win career. some fights and lose some fights. And, uh, you know, I don't expect him to go on a tear anytime soon. Yeah. So. But you know, if he does, he always can kind of start getting the taste of the title. Um, in his mouth again. It's not like he can never uh, work right, his way up to a talent but I agree that he's pretty much in the situation where he's a solid gatekeeper, much like Keith Jardine, who he split a decision with. Yeah, um, no. uh, they had they fought basically to a draw, and I pretty much put them in the, the same position. A uh, different style, obviously, but if you beat them, then it shows that you're you know you're there to stay. If you lose to them, well, you know maybe you weren't ready, or maybe you know you just you're never going to be that that guy. But um, both of them should have job security. Keith Jardine might end up fighting elsewhere for a little bit just because he's dropped three straight now. But um, I mean, both those guys, in my opinion, they belong, and there's always going to be a spot for guys like that. Mm-hmm. Not everyone in the UFC can be a champion. They've got 250 fighters and five champions. So, I mean, there's always going to be guys who are on the main card um, and are going to be fighting guys, and th- they're even going to be on the advertisement. You know, like Brandon Vera will probably always be on the ad. He's, uh, you know, he- he's earned his spot there. Mm. But in terms of uh, in terms of title hopes, at least you know, not for another year or two, and winning quite a lot of fights. And you know, as far as who he's got next, I mean, it it doesn't to me matter really the who, more just the what. And you know, he he's going to be that guy who's fighting prospects. As opposed to John Jones, who uh, you know he needs to get a little bit more experience, and he's uh, he's on his way up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean it'll be um, interesting to see. I mean it's gonna, I guess it'll be a while before Brandon Vera's back in action, just with his injury and all of that too. Yeah, it's so. a pretty nasty. Yeah. I mean, it was already pretty. I mean, obviously, I mean as soon as he got hit, he rolled away in pain, which is never a good sign. But yeah, he yeah. was already swollen and discolored by the time the fight. You know, they went to the official decision and all of that. So. Who knows how long he'll be out. But. So UFC's kind of having a little love affair with Junior Dos Santos right now. Yeah. It must be a good day to be him. Well, you know, he's another guy kind of in a uh, similar position to John Jones where um, he, he's a guy who seems to have a lot of potential. Um, he's ended a lot of his fights pretty quickly, uh, other than the, the Krokop fight, which was... Uh, uh, a third round finish. Yeah. But um, other than that, I mean, they've all been first round. Yeah. Pretty early in the first round too, and uh, they, they'd all been standing up. He'd never been taken down before, but he's another guy that you know is like, 
who knows how far this guy can go. Um, and heavyweight is not a very deep division. Um, so it doesn't take a whole lot for a guy to get a title shot. But they've been really building him up slowly, uh, much like Cain Velasquez. They've been building both those guys up slowly uh, because I think they see a lot of potential with those guys. And um, this was kind of a fun card to me in that uh, the UFC put together two fights uh, as the two main events, basically, where it was a hot up-and-comer against a uh, a grizzled veteran, so to speak. And Gabriel Gonzaga, he, he's had a title shot a few years back, mm-hmm. and he's um, probably a little higher on the heavyweight totem pole than Brandon Barry would be on the light heavyweight totem pole. I, I, I look at G- Gonzaga more like Sean Shirk, where you beat him, and you're pretty much at the top. You, yeah. You're not necessarily, you may not quite get a title shot for that one win, but you're a win away from a title shot. And that's kind of where I see Junior Dos Santos being. I don't see him getting uh, ahead of um, the winner of Mir and Carwin. And I would even think probably Cain Velasquez would deserve a title shot before him. But, you know, give him one more guy in the meantime, and, uh, you know, he might be looking at a title shot a year from now. Yeah, so, you know, just looking at that, I mean, it's kind of nice where the UFC has this dilemma of, like, well, who do we give the heavyweight title shot to? I mean, obviously the the winner of Mir Carwin, they're going to have the interim heavyweight belt, and then they fight Lesnar uh, later in the summer. And then, uh, you know, after that, you've actually got, you know, people set up already. The thing is, do you let, like, a Cain Velasquez or a Junior Dos Santos just sit around that whole time and wait? I mean, because I think we talked about before, I'd love to see Velasquez and Dos Santos fight. But at the same time, that's uh, you're eliminating one title contender right there, in the in the short term at least. So Yeah. Who, who knows? But um, You know, like, I think they'll they'll find someone to fight for them. And they'll probably give them somebody they should win. Um. But, you know, like you never know how the fight's going to play out. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get new contenders. I mean, that's how Gonzaga became a contender, was he was uh, that fight to fill some time for Krokop, basically. And, uh, well, yeah, he was supposed to be the win Krokop got in the UFC before fighting Randy Couture. Yeah. So, I mean, he was basically just some, some uh, meat going to the slaughter and uh, ended up getting the win himself. So, I mean, th- there's no such thing as a safe fight. But I would imagine the UFC is probably going to set those guys up for victory because they, they see a lot of potential. And maybe give them some fights that they can grow with. Um, give uh, Junior Dos Santos maybe somebody who's got some threat with uh, the takedowns. Um, just because it'd be interesting to see a little more of the ground game. We, we got to see a, a very brief glimpse in this fight with Gonzaga, but it was very quick. Gonzaga got him to the ground, got his back, and Dos Santos got up extremely quickly, and mm-hmm. there it was. So we know that he's got good uh, good standing up abilities, kind of the, the Chuck Liddell uh, technique. Oh yeah, and he's got really good speed, which is something that was uh, I noticed. I mean, he caught he caught that leg kick from uh, Gonzaga and just uh, clocked him right in the face, and then took, finished him on the ground. But yeah, no, that's uh, one of the things I've been impressed with Dos Santos so far is his, you know, it, you know, most heavyweights have pretty heavy hands, but I mean, just the speed he's been able to connect with on people so far has been most impressive. Impressive as well. So. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, Punch is good. The, uh, the most <laughs> frust- uh, frustrating uh, fight of the night with uh, Chet Congo? Yeah, that one I did not expect at all. I mean, I, I don't recall ever seeing Chet Congo uh, doing takedowns. And, I and mean, he was doing okay with those, but you got to do something after that. Yeah, and I mean, like... He's never even shown much in the way of takedown defense. I mean, with Chet Congo, it's always been like, 
he's a murderer standing up, but then you take him down and he just kind of lays there. I mean, Crow Cop took him down. Heath Herring took him down. And, I mean, he made these guys look like they were outstanding wrestlers. And, I mean, a great part of it may have been the surprise factor that I don't think anyone was expecting him to go for these takedowns. I mean, I would have actually, like, before this fight happened, bet on Congo, but I would have expected him to win by a standing knockout. I figured he was probably having the advantage there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Buentello did not see this coming at all either. And um, he, he just had no answer for the takedowns, which actually kind of surprised me um, because I think that uh, Buentello has stopped takedowns from wrestlers of a higher caliber. But then again, when you're worried about the knockout, um, maybe your sprawl suffers as a result of that. Right, yeah, I don't know if he just got worn out during the fight or whatever, but yeah, it was just, it was weird. And, you know, a couple times you get taken down because it's not, you know, you weren't game planning for that, that's one thing. But then, you know, he wasn't able to adapt or anything like that throughout the rest of the fight, which was uh, kind of made for, uh, yeah, it, a, a little bit of frustration. You know, and uh, and I was talking to Matt earlier about this, uh, how, how he was frustrated watching Congo go for, the, you know, go, go for the takedown. Not necessarily do the takedowns, but then not do anything necessarily too much with them. Right. And, um, you know, I talked about, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, heaven forbid Congo tried to diversify his game plan and stuff and that sort of thing, kind of joking around a yeah. little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I, and I get that. And I think he's done – it might have to do with just the quality of, you know, ground opponent he's facing somewhat, too, because, I mean, he, he took Krokop to a decision, and I think he, you know, worked on the ground a little bit there, too, himself, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think it really just says, you know, the quality of the, the opponent. And you, we all kind of talked before, like, none of us expected this to go to the ground. But at the same time, the fights that Congo's lost his last several fights because he hasn't been willing to do anything else except for stand in exchange. And when he fought a much superior uh, grappler in Cain uh, Velasquez, he, he just got dominated. But, you know, even when he was willing to stra- uh, stand and bang with, uh, like, Frank Mir, he's, he still ended up getting getting caught. So, you know, uh, I, I understand the idea of wanting to mix things up. And, and you know, for the fans, it's not as exciting. But uh, I, I definitely understand it. I wasn't frustrated with that, though. Yeah. Like, okay. his game plan was just fine. What I was frustrated with was he didn't need to keep on taking him to the ground. By the, by the, the, fir- the second half of the first round and right. definitely into the second round, okay. he was doing just fine standing up. He was, I mean, he had this game plan where it's punch, punch, take him down, and then just kind of wiggle on him for a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know... That, yeah. That's fine. Diversification is good, and obviously exactly. he he has some sort of groundwork down there. At the absolute basic level, yes. he can pull you down to the ground and just kind of work on you yeah. soft-like for a while. But he didn't need to keep on doing yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you could you could say that after two rounds, um, Buentello went into that third round a defeated man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know the, the knockout was right for the taking. But, you know, hey, maybe Congo was just looking for that first ground win. I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's usually the opposite that you see where uh, there's all these grapplers who are like, I want to knock somebody out. Matt Hughes was talking about that for years, how he would love to stand and knock somebody out. And it just never happened for him. So maybe that was what Congo was looking for. He could get his first, like, you know, win on the ground. Um, I mean, it, it was technically speaking, actually, a submission win, even though he didn't have him in a submission hold. He, he's got he's got one or two, uh, but I mean it's been a, it's been a while before since he's had a submission. But yeah, no, I, and I get that. Um, like certain, work it till you can do some ground and pound or something like right, that. Right, just right. don't hit him in his thigh and just exhaust the man into right. tapping out because that's not going to work for 
90% of other right. UFC fighters. Yeah, well, he certainly picked the right opponent to do this game plan on oh, yeah, in terms it, well, of UFC. And I think that's what something that uh, came up during the commentary was Goldberg's like, oh, Congo's showing uh, you know a much improved ground game. He's like, well, he should, and Rogan was quick to, and everyone take a shot, immediately refute what Goldberg <laughs> said by saying, like, well, he's showing, he's showing good groundwork against a guy who's not at the, I mean, you know, against a much... Uh, a higher quality heavyweight opponent, this would not be working for Jack Conga. Yeah. Which is an excellent thing to point out. Paul Bontello is a yeah. veteran and he's been around for a while, but he's not top tier. He's, he's, he's a mid tier guy. He's got a good heart, some hard fists, but yeah. other than that. Yeah. And this game plan would not work against Frank Mir. Frank Mir would have, uh, you know, immediately slapped on a, a chain of submissions. Right, and you see, Bontello was working for that a little bit at times and he just he wasn't able to get it going, but yeah, someone with much better, uh, you know, defensive. Uh, grappling or submission skills would have. Yeah, that seems to be yeah. much better. Right. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. thing I would mention, and again, not to, I, I hate being this is the current country and stuff, and, and certainly, yeah, I was frustrated watching that fight where Congo would throw a couple punches, then get in and go for a takedown, and he wouldn't finish on the feet and he wouldn't do anything on the ground and until the end. But at the same time, the only way it seemed that Buentello could possibly win that fight was standing. So as as, as uh, looking from Congo's perspective, why would you why would you be willing to uh, entertain the possibility of letting your opponent get that win, despite how overwhelming uh, the the odds of that might be. You know, why would you, you know, like, hey, I'm winning this fight, I, I could finish him on the uh, standing up, but at the same time, this is the only place that he could possibly come back and win. Yeah, that, there's definitely something to be said for that. The thing that actually frustrated me the most about this fight was not the fact that, uh, uh, not not the fighting style so much, mm-hmm. but the uh, the illegal strikes that went on in this fight, yeah, yep. which there were several knees to the head. Yep. Um, I believe the first one got a warning, and then the second one got a, a point taken away, mm. and then uh, you know the, the fight got broken up there for a little bit, and then later on, I don't remember if it was the same first round or if it was the second round, but um, uh, Congo has Buentello in, I mean not quite a tie clinch, but he had him, you know, he he was holding on to him, and he started kneeing him in the head, standing up, and then Buentello, being the uh, the veteran that he is, puts a hand on the ground, and you know then suffers another knee to the head, which yeah, I, I saw that happen. He's a grounded opponent. And, uh, you know, the gears are turning in my head like, I think Congo may have just got himself disqualified. That'd be horrible. But then, uh, you know, Herb Dean, once again, props to Herb, is like, hey, you were playing the game there, Paul. I'm uh, I'm not, I'll break it up because it was, once again, an illegal strike. But, like, he probably didn't see you put your hand down there. Right, and yeah, and that's, I, th- I think I heard it, you know, he's like, oh, he's playing the game or whatever, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, he's very, uh, very Ric Flair Ash. I'm I'm showing my ignorance again, but I was like, playing the game. What I I don't get it. You know. Yeah. Um, the terminology uh, because it's new to me. Right. Because it wasn't that he was. Um, that was it, actually a fairly new term for the sport. I've never heard of like an opponent like being called yeah. on playing the game before. Is that first as as that? you guys have talked about it, and I understand it now. He's exploiting the rule, where it's basically like, because it's one thing if you're grounded and you don't see a knee to the head coming and you're not willing to defend it, but he was like, he was aware that Congo was trying to knee mm-hmm. in the head, and as soon as it was yeah. coming, he's like, oh, I'm grounded. <laughs> yeah, oh, I get it now. So yeah. now I'm, I've learned something new. Which is, uh, it, it's always, you know, I don't have strong feelings on that either way. It's it's something that happens, and if people can make it work, make it work. But, it, you know, it would be pretty horrible if Congo got disqualified for that at the same time. I yeah, I, I, like I said, though, I almost thought it was coming because he had already had the point taken away, and... You know, sometimes they'll take a second point away, but sometimes they'll just go straight for the disqualification after that. And, uh, you know, in, in that case, they can call it the unintentional foul because while he intended to knee him in the head, uh, he did not intend to foul him like he did the first time when they did take the point away where it's just like, you know, like people forget rules, but it's still an intentional foul when 
you know, you know the guys on the ground, and you know you're kneeing them in the head. Um, right. So he deserved to have that first point taken away. But I thought Herb Dean did a great job with that fight. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Any other? Um, I, I wasn't too impressed with uh, the the Irvin Sakara fight at all. You know what can you say about it? Like he got poked in the eye, punched, I mean, punched yeah, in punched the in the eye. He got knuckled in the eye. Um, I mean, I I think Joe Rogan uh, said it best. Where he just called it unfortunate. I mean, he was clearly not knocked out. Right. Um. I mean, he he wasn't even dazed by the looks of things. He went down and grabbed his eye. Yeah. And the replay showed that it wasn't a poke, so you can't blame Sakara. Yeah. But at the same time, once the fight is stopped, you can't just restart it. Yeah. So because I mean, Sakara could have just jumped on Irvin for going down like that. Yeah. So it's just like you know, what are you gonna do? You can rematch him in a few months if you want to, but yeah, because I mean, it's it's basically an injury stoppage, even though it's the injury you recover from the injury much more quickly than say like Brandon uh, Vera getting his face broken. But it's, it has the same effect. The fight has to be stopped, not because the put, the uh, the opponent has been uh, knocked out, but it's because they can't continue at that precise moment. Yeah. I kind of put this one in the same boat as when Anderson Silva fought Patrick Cote, mm. and nothing was really going on, and then all of a sudden Patrick Cote has been around. I was like, oh, my knee! He, he, slipped, on the, uh, he slipped on the giant sponsorship logo. And uh, he's like, <laughs> fight's over. All right. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there was uh, Anderson Silva technically won by knockout, but it's like he didn't. he did not knock him out. He didn't even but touch he him. He was just about to get him. He was going to get him. <laughs> well, I mean, he was it's about always, to predate him. It, it's always a matter of time uh, <laughs> in those matches, but yeah, it, it gave a similar uh, taste in my mouth where it's just like, yep. yeah, you won, but I don't know how much you earned it. So, yeah, we'll see. He yeah. is uh, certainly looking much more uh, gladiator look, though. Uh, Sakara is. Yeah. Now that he's got that beard going on. He looks like he's ready to uh, take uh, live up to that name, Legionarius. <laughs> what, what's Chris leaving up to? Can they fight? I mean, I don't, I don't know if uh, Sakara's, you know, up for, like, you know, higher-tier middleweights, but... Uh... Hey, you know what? I don't see why not. Nope. No, <laughs> wait. He already lost Chris Levin. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> Retracted. Right. Retracted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet it was a good fight, though. TKO punches. Nice. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, I think that was one of those fights where it wasn't necessarily, and, and no offense to either of the fighters, but it wasn't necessarily a quality, like uh, the quality of the fighters so much as uh, people expecting, like, these guys are two guys who like to stand and bang. James Irvin has some ridiculous highlight reel knockouts on his resume. Yeah. We'll probably we'll put this fight on and probably, you know, give the fans a quick, awesome-looking knockout. And... Yeah, but I, I, get a little, I get a little suspicious when you have, right before the fight, you know, the interview is like, I'm here to stand, bang, First round knockout. It's like, eh, when both guys say that, I'm like, you know what's going to happen is they're going to go in there and just kind of dance around each other for a while because both of them are looking for that big one punch. And if you got two guys after the same goal, and, you know, it's like, uh, you're, you're, that's not going to happen. It's probably going to wind up being kind of a boring fight. Yeah, well, I mean, Which it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing disappointing about the fight besides... But, the ending, ending, yeah. but I did not see, you know, two gladiators running into the, the center of the, the <laughs> octagon getting ready to, you know, blow each other's yeah. faces up. Yeah. One thing I'd like to point out, though, is that James Irvin is quite possibly the most random fighter in UFC history. Hmm. He sometimes has these spectacular highlight reel uh, finishes, as you, you mentioned, Tobin. Yeah. But at the same time, he manages to lose fight in just such weird ways sometimes. Did he fall out of a cage? Or something. I mean, he's had some. He's had some weird endings. And then, like, he he like horribly mangled his knee once fighting yeah, against yeah. Stefan Bonner, um, which 
uh, it's, it's just ridiculous some of the ways he loses. But then at the same time, he wins some fights, and he's just like, this guy is the bomb. Like, he's going to be the next champion. Um, I mean, he's uh, one of those guys, like, you, you don't see a boring fight from him. He's uh, spectacular in victory or defeat. Yeah, it was interesting because I think this was, uh, I, I forgot he was actually fighting at 185 now because normally he's been at 205. So this is his first fight there, and he didn't look, uh, I mean, he looked pretty uh, emaciated. He yeah, looked, he looked kind of gangly. So it was interesting. I actually saw some stuff online today where uh, I guess at the post-fight press conference, uh, Dana White said he, he didn't he didn't think he'd we were going to see James Irvin again at 185 just because the way the cut affected him. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, which I, it, you know. I would love to see some photos yeah, that Joe I, Rogan wouldn't shut up about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of interested to see the way-in picture myself because right. uh, talk about how he looked like an alien, yeah. had his cheekbones sticking out. Yeah. I mean, he was certainly extremely lean yeah. even uh, after rehydrating. But he was clearly smaller than he used to be. Right, yeah. Um, but, but definitely, I mean, he, he, yeah, I mean, he... Clearly lost some muscle weight, but yeah, I mean, if he's sucking too much water out or, or whatever, but uh, you know, I, his call and yeah. you know, I guess the fight promoter's call. I'm kind of interested into why he even felt the need to cut uh, down to 185, though. I mean, he was never uh, like the best mm. 205er, but I mean, the guy who supposedly, I guess you could say, knocked him out of the weight class is Anderson Silva, the last guy who fought him, uh, who is you know a 185 guy. So, uh, you know, I would think that uh, if James Irvin was trying to look to get away from him, not saying that he's running scared from Anderson, but... The guy did explode his face. Yeah, the guy did explode his face. And, um, you know, like, there's no other evidence that says that he was feeling the need to to leave 205. He had had plenty of success there in the past. So it just seems uh, odd to me that he even went there. I had not heard that he was planning on going to 185 until, you know, this fight was coming up. Right, yeah, no, that's the thing. And like, even when the fight, yeah, I, I totally spaced out on the other other week because I was thinking, like, oh, maybe like you know, if James Irvin wins, you could have him take the loser of you know Jones Vera. And then I've, I looked at him like, oh wait, they're in different weight classes now. Oops, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, who yeah. knows? Sounds like he'll be back though. Yeah, if, uh, if Dana means what he says, so that's yeah. good because he was weird looking. It, it was a little weird. Um, I mean, not too many other thoughts, at least for me, on the uh, the rest of the uh, card. I was looking up the results on the undercard. And, uh, you know, if people are into the, uh, you know, gross-looking photos, uh, you can see a photo of uh, Dwayne Ludwig, Ludwig online uh, having his foot dislocated. Ooh. Um, but just so you know, the first time I saw the photo, I wasn't that weirded out by it because the angle with his, which his foot is, it looks like it's his opponent's foot. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, what's weird with that? Oh, that's, oh, that's his foot. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, when Corey Hill had his gruesome accident in what I think was his last fight mm. where he uh, threw a low kick and his opponent checked it and his shin oh, yeah. snapped in half and went uh, wiggling around. And you, you see some of the pictures, and I remember looking at the picture like, what the heck? You know, like, Photoshop. You, you're, you're confused at first. Yeah. You're like, what is happening here? Then, Oh. Yeah, it just doesn't register what uh, what exactly happened. Uh, Brendan Schaub got a quick uh, TKO victory, which is uh, he was one of the other. The, you know, on the last season, the tough wasn't that great. Uh, a lot of heavyweights who were breathing heavy after two minutes of, of fighting, but uh, you know, Schaub had some potential at least. You know, from his athleticism, and he made it to the finals. And yeah, he was that other guy. He yeah. he, he didn't really seem to stand out too much on the show itself. Um, I mean, he wasn't on there all the time, like Kimbo or Big Baby were. Yeah. And then he didn't win like Roy Nelson did. But, you know, he got to the finals, so 
um, you know, here he is. Well, and, he's a uh, younger guy where I think he does have kind of a, that, that potential, you know, good good for him getting a, a TKO. Yeah, and he's got the knockout power. He uh, he got a submission on the show also, so <laughs> he seems to be at least relatively well-rounded, although he's, he certainly prefers the, the stand-up. And I believe he was one of the NFL guys yeah. also, so he's kind of got that thing going on where he can uh, he can hype that up a little bit. Yes. I want to mention briefly that fight that you're highlighting there, though, yeah, yeah, yeah. the John Howard against uh, Daniel Roberts fight. Yeah. Daniel Roberts is not dead, everybody. Yay! Because <laughs> he was really good. I was impressed. I was like, hey, I like this uh, This guy's moxie. and <laughs> crack you know yeah uh that was a pretty entertaining fight um i mean they, they were doing some some fairly decent groundwork um there was a, a good takedown and a sweep and i mean it was interesting to watch yep. and uh then all of a sudden that big punch and it was all over yeah john howard just blew right through his uh his guard there and uh and yeah big old left hook yeah and, and uh, apparently the ref was on the other side of uh, the arena. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't able to stop that till a few more punches uh, went down. Yeah, it happens. So that was uh, that was fun to watch. And uh, John Howard got one of three knockout of the night bonuses wow. for this uh, show. That's a first for Dana White, um, or the UFC, I should say. Mm. Dana White apparently felt that they didn't need a fight of the night bonus this time around but instead offered uh, the submission of the night to uh, Clay Guida, who got the only submission of the night, unless you count uh, Chuck Congo and uh, Paul Buentello, where he didn't actually do a submission move. Submission so. leg punches. Yeah, so they're not going to count that one. So Clay Guida got the submission of the night, but then uh, Howard, Junior Dos Santos, and um, uh, John Jones all got knockout of the nights. Oh, wow. Um, they split the purse, I think, so 50000 for each? Or? Yeah, they got 50000 for each of them for that. Uh, so... Really, that was only one extra bonus since uh, they didn't do the fight of the night. And actually, since the fight of the night generally goes to two guys, I guess it pretty much just rounded out the same. Right, yeah, and, you know, honestly, who would you give fight of the night to on this card? I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't think there's anything too amazing on the undercard. You mentioned Guida getting a submission win over Shannon Gugarty, but, uh, yeah, there was a... You know, the, there, it could be argued that the uh, the, the John Howard fight against uh, Roberts, just because at least like that one, while it had the spectacular knockout, also had some back and forth. Right. I mean, um, the yeah. other two, uh, the two main events, really were pretty short and one-sided. And while that one was uh, pretty short also, it was it was more back and forth. Right. It was a very compressed back and forth match. It didn't, didn't take too long to uh, things to get down to business. But, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to have a fight of the night every uh, all the time, so... It, but yeah, I just kind of find that find that amusing, you know. It's like, oh, uh, we didn't have a fight of the night. Uh, more knockout. Bonus. Yeah, but we had a lot of sweet knockout. Yeah. Heck yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, we've got a UFC pay per view coming up here in just a couple of days. Yes, Saturday. Yay. Yay! Oh man. Any thoughts? Who's excited? Well, I know I am. Yeah. Well, po- uh, Tobin pulls up the card for us. I just yeah. want to uh, mention that I don't know how. Uh, how Versus did everything uh, elsewhere, but I thought they uh, could have done kind of a better job hyping up their lineup with uh, the UFC, because I think the UFC probably brought in a lot of viewers that Versus doesn't usually get. So, um, you know, they kind of led into the UFC with the UFC countdown, and then before that there was some WEC, but um, then after that they had, uh, like, sports jobs, um, and then they had uh, sports soup, and then they went back into the, the UFC replay. 
I think after that UFC event, though, would have been a, to run some WEC highlights. Right, right. Um, I mean, they they produced a best of the year special, uh, you know, back in January or something like that, I believe. Yeah, so. and I, I mean, I know that I'm a mixed martial arts fan, so like that would be catering towards me. But who are they drawing that they don't usually draw right then? They draw a bunch of mixed martial arts fans, and they're probably drawing a lot of mixed martial arts fans that have never seen the WEC before. And while I'm sure they wanted to hype up sports jobs and sports soup, which were, you know, mildly entertaining shows, I watched both of them. Right, right. And they did actually manage to give us an MMA-themed sports jobs, which was nice. Uh, the guy was Forrest Griffin's cut man and all that Ooh. stuff. But, you know, I think they probably would have done a better job in terms of uh, future ratings if they had been like, hey, you like that? It's mixed martial arts. Here's some other mixed martial arts right. we got, and we got this stuff on all the time. Yeah, they could have even showed like a, just a replay of the latest WEC, or they did. I, did, I noticed they did promote a lot of the WEC pay per view coming up. So. Yeah, they, they did do that. Um, I just think they probably would have uh, strategically they should have uh, moved the WEC to after. Right. Yeah, that would have been nice to see. But uh, well, I guess we'll see how it pays off for WEC in the future. You know. Now that they're back on DirecTV and now that they've got a... Oh, yeah. Well, that can't be anything but good for them. Right. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be really... I don't think the ratings come out yet for the uh, the UFC on Versus, because I think cable ratings take a couple more days than, like, just your network ratings. So it'll be interesting to see how, how this compares and stacks up and everything. So. Um, quick poll. How many people think Dan Hardy is going to beat George St. Pierre? Uh, uh, no one raised their hands, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we got... George St. Pierre defending I'm hoping. Dan Hardy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I really hope that George St. Pierre wins. Uh, is there a little thing in me that says that, you know, could he lose? He absolutely could lose. Yeah. The thing that scares me about this fight is that nobody expects Dan Hardy to win. And nobody expects him to even have a chance. And that's what worries me about the fight. Because last time nobody expected somebody to have a chance against George St. Pierre was when he fought Matt Sarah. Who? Yeah, that guy. Uh, former champion Matt Sarah, <laughs> Tobin. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I mean Matt Sarah was a guy who had been around for yeah. years, and his claim to fame was you know being hard to finish off. Basically, he had fought a bunch of big names prior to that, and you know like survived to decision. Um, and then he of course punches off George St. Pierre's head, which nobody saw that coming at all. And um, you know George St. Pierre has gone on another roll since then. He he had been on a huge roll up until that point. And is you know destroyed BJ Penn, John Fitch, Tiago Alves, and those are like some top names. And then Dan Hardy is kind of this like, well, you know, he's he's got some good wins, but they weren't like super impressive. But we're gonna give him the title shot anyway, which is it's a lot like where Matt Sarah was when he fought George St. Pierre. So like, I would never like be like, hey, I'm gonna put money on uh, on Dan Hardy. That seems like a good bet. But um, you know, like. I hope George St. Pierre takes it as seriously as he says he does. Because, you know, if you hear him talk, he's talking a great game about how this is the most challenging fight of his career and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He's going to freaking knock him out in the first yeah, round. Yeah. But, um, you know, if he if he doesn't take it seriously, he can lose. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, you know, I, I like Dan Hardy. He's, he's a fun fighter to watch. But but certainly, you know, the, you just look at their... Their, uh, their resumes. Their resumes and, you know, just what they've accomplished and, you know, just the skills they have right now. And George St. Pierre is clearly much more well-versed in, in MMA in general than Dan Hardy. Um, but yeah, there's always that one chance. And, you know, the UFC has really been hyping it up because the, they have to, you know, really sell the underdog a lot. Uh, 
and, and they're like, you know, Dan Hardy could knock him out on the on standing. And, you know, typically I'm kind of adverse to being told what to think by, you know, promoters and that sort of thing. But this is – I would be – I would be shocked at all if Dan Hardy won. I think it would be great because, first of all, any time like the status quo is interrupted, you know, anarchy in the UFC and <laughs> people would freak out. And Absolutely, shake it up a little. Dan bit. Hardy would do a cartwheel and give a smirk to the camera, and people would be like, "What?" And then he'd get kneed to death in his next fight or something. Wait, that was that was Matt Sarah. Sorry. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I would be shocked. I would be surprised if Dan Hardy won. I would be shocked if he won in any other manner than. Uh, Punching. Yeah, if he gets like some sort of go-go plata submission, I will um, lose my mind. Yes, yeah, I will have to change my pants afterwards, most likely. Right, because uh, Dan Hardy has has shown improvement a bit, but I mean he's been taken down and you know, not necessarily worked over, but taken down and uh, had trouble getting getting out of that, you know, quickly against you know lesser fighters than George Saint Pierre. And George Saint Pierre has made people who are good at defending takedowns, who are good on the ground, look bad. I mean, yeah, so uh, it would not. Yeah, I, I don't think Dan Hardy's going to win this fight. But again, he, he's got the, he's got the puncher's chance. And yeah, he's that's like the one area where uh, at this point he's proved to be better than George St. Pierre at least. Um, but you know, George St. Pierre is one of those freaks who can hurdle nine foot tall hurdles and might be working on his Superman punch. Yeah, and his stand, he's he's always improved his stand up. And uh, I think Greg mentioned it last last week. But uh, you know, Tiago uh, Tiago Alves was a uh, much better striker on paper than George St. Pierre, and it didn't, didn't really matter. George St. Pierre didn't outstrike him, but he just, you know, was able to take him down, and the striking didn't end up making a difference. So. Yeah, and Tiago Alves, while I don't know that he's necessarily a better striker than Dan Hardy, um, I would really have to like, go into a more in-depth comparison of the two. Um, well, they're definitely different styles. For yeah, sure. definitely different styles, but um, he's certainly got the better takedown defense. Um, Tiago Alves is a specialist of the Chuck Liddell style, where it's like, I'm going to force you to stand up with me, and then I'll, you know, I'll beat you that way. And, uh, you know, George St. Pierre took him down whenever he wanted to. Uh, and I don't remember if he... he with a pulled groin, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. A torn groin. Torn groin. Yeah, he messed that up. He's been gone since then, Tobin. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, George St. Pierre, man, he's got incredible takedowns. So I, I don't see this fight stand staying standing very long. George St. Pierre came into the UFC as a, a, a karate guy. I mean, he was a striker when he came in. But, um, I mean, especially since the, the loss to Matt Serra, uh, George St. Pierre has really turned more into a ground guy. I don't know if he's scared of the striking necessarily. You know, he, he knows that his chin is uh, quite possibly something of a liability. But um, he, he certainly doesn't seem to want to spend a whole lot of time there anymore, at least against people who are threatening there. He... he Spent a few rounds striking with John Fitch, but John Fitch isn't known for knocking dudes out. So right. uh, that's a different story. But against uh, you know BJ Penn and against uh, I mean even in the rematch against Matt Serra, a guy who other than that one punch where he he landed on George St Pierre, he's really not known as a striker. He's known as a grappler. Yeah. And George St Pierre just I mean immediately took him down. It was like three seconds into the fight, Matt Serra was on his back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of expect this fight to basically be at George St. Pierre's pace. You know, if Dan Hardy's going to catch him, he might blitz him, but I expected if Dan Hardy was going to catch him, it would be a counter, whereas George St. Pierre will probably be controlling kind of the tempo of the fight, and, you know, the fight will stay standing as long as George St. Pierre wants it to, um, because, I don't. again, I don't see Dan Hardy being like, oh, I'll just take him down. No, that's not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, and if George St. Pierre is like, I've had enough of the standing, uh, time for a takedown, then that's what's going to happen, so... 
Yeah, I don't know if we'll see a decision. I mean, I think George St. Pierre might be a little kind of like self-conscious at that point because his last fight against Thiago Alves, you know, there's no reason for him not to have, well, except for the whole torn groin thing. Uh, no reason for him, you know, having having getting all those takedowns and stuff not to not to have finished him on the ground or something like that. So he might be kind of more more alert and you know trying to finish a fight, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, in in George's last three fights, he's gone 14 full rounds. He ended up getting uh, BJ Penn's corner to throw in the towel between yeah. the fourth and fifth rounds. But I mean, besides that, he's uh, uh, his fight against John Fitch and Thiago Alves were two five round decisions. And I mean, not that they weren't interesting fights, but um, I mean, they're completely dominating, and um, you know, they weren't particularly exciting I'd, in the sense of like, you know, now that you know that George St. Pierre wins, do you really want to go back and watch that fight too much? Right, well, that's the thing, because I mean, some some fights, you know, they go all five rounds or the full rounds. You're like, oh, well, you know, this guy's still got a chance, but you know, after the couple rounds of the, the John Fitch and Alves fights, you're like, okay, they don't they don't have anything else to do. Except for absorb, you know, whatever George St. Pierre is throwing at them. So, yeah. So I, I can see where he he may be getting the criticism, but you know, I don't know that Dan Hardy necessarily has the defense on the ground uh, yeah. of a guy like George St. Pierre's caliber. Yeah. So you know, like they're saying that you know, well, yeah, Dan Hardy, you know, he'll, he'll have till he gets taken down, and then the round will end, and he'll have till he gets taken down again. That assumes he doesn't get submitted in that time. Which, right. I mean. You know, yeah. George St. Pierre hasn't submitted a whole lot of people lately, but he's got it. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, yeah. I mean, he submitted Matt Hughes, and uh, that's not an easy thing to do these days. Yeah, it looks like he's got about five submissions on his record. And, yeah, certainly, again, someone who's very well versed in many, many aspects of MMA, so be interesting to see. But Dan Hardy did train with monks. Yes. Mm. Which was odd. That, that's the uh, the UFC primetime. That was kind of cool to see because, you know, uh, I was I see. You know, the, the fights are, of course, the most important thing, you know, the matchups and everything. But it is kind of interesting to learn more, a bit more about the fighters and kind of interesting little personality quirks yes. and, you know, just just what they, how they got to where they are. But he didn't like it too much. Well, you know, it didn't look like fun. <laughs> well, they wouldn't let him have a mohawk. So yeah. And, cool. and what's Dan Hardy without a mohawk? He's just, just some guy. Just some British guy. <laughs> just Dan. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, Frank Mayer, Shane Carwin, who you got? This is not going to be a long fight. Yeah. Of course, as Matt had pointed out earlier, you know, two guys like, yeah, I'm going to finish this one in the first round. This could be a five-rounder for all we know. <laughs> it's extremely unlikely, though. Um, the UFC has been making a real big deal about hyping up that they have uh, a combined 23 first-round finishes between the yeah. two of them, and uh, clearly 11 of those would be going to uh, Shane Carwin, and uh, Frank Mir must have 12 Uh with my superior subtra- subtraction skills, <laughs> so um, right. um, that's uh, yeah, it's mean, likely to be a very quick fight. Both guys are extremely um, aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Carwin more with the knockouts, and Frank Mir, you know, traditionally more with the submissions. But I mean, he's been punching dudes head off uh, lately. So this one, uh, it's a lot harder to call. I think I would say that. Uh, Mir is probably more well-rounded of a mixed martial artist, but uh, Carwin should have the the wrestling and probably the strength. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, honestly, it's, it's we just don't know that. Despite having Carwin been, been in the UFC, you know, uh, you know, taken uh, fought several times, and you know, he, he's only I think he's only eleven and zero or something like that. Um, but we even though he's had those eleven fights, we haven't seen much 
else from him aside from his knockout power, which, again, I think I mentioned this likely isn't a bad thing. You know, it keeps working for him. It keeps winning for him. But, you know, if he does end up in a fight that goes a distance, we're not – I don't know what to expect from him. Does he have a gas tank? Can he, you know – can he – if his plan A doesn't work, can he adapt and go to plan B? But uh, uh mentioned the wrestling. Um, yeah, Shane Gar- Carwin does have a wrestling background in his um, – Frank Mir proved he, he sometimes doesn't do well against heavy-handed, larger wrestlers. Yeah, and Frank Mir has even gone on to say a handful of times that he feels that Shane Carwin is basically a better version of Brock Lesnar. I think he's just saying that yeah. to piss him off. Which, yes, yes. you know, that, that remains to be seen. Yeah. But, um, you know, the truth is that uh, much like Brock Lesnar, uh, Shane Carwin is a huge son of a bitch. And he hits really hard. He probably hits harder than uh, Brock Lesnar does in terms of punching. Um, is he a stronger wrestler than Brock Lesnar? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's another just like, you know, big gorilla guy who is going to be able to just completely crush your body. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think if he can smother Frank Mir, Mir might be in trouble. But, you know, we, we've seen Mir uh, pull, pull a submission off from the... Uh Jaws of defeat, yeah. as that, it were. That's how I have the match, pretty much, is I have Mir by submission, if yeah. I have to yeah. say it, which I don't. But I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to put my name and my, my opinion out there, yep. it's Mir submission. Round two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, uh, go, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, election year coverage too close to call this thing. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, if I, if I had to make a It'll kick. be fun to see, because, right. I mean, we don't really know about right. Shane Carwin all that much. Yeah. People, you know, he's big. He's strong. He's everything that uh, America kind of has the love affair of the heavyweight, you know, yeah. except that he looks really old and is ugly as sin. <laughs> well, well, he is old. Yeah, so, he's uh, 35. Yeah, Whoa, I mean, for, really? For, for an up and because, I mean, in, in MMA, he's still an up and comer. You know, he's only had, I think, three or four fights in the UFC and, oh. like I said, 11 and 0 professionally. So, but yeah, he, he is an older, an older gentleman when it comes to, uh, yeah. comes to MMA. Yeah. He kind of models himself. Uh, I mean, he even kind of compared himself to, uh, to Randy Couture, once, yeah. uh, he hopes, you know, he says, uh, where Randy Couture got his start in the sport at like thir- 33 years old and has gone on to be a very good fighter. And, uh, you know, Shane Carwin has gotten a late start, but he points out to guys like Noguera, who Noguera is like only 32 or 33 years old. Shopworn. But is, you know, he's got this, uh, he's on a sliding slope now, it seems. And a lot of that could possibly be attributed not so much to the age, but just the wear and tear of being in the sport for 10 years, being at the top of the sport for 10 years, right. and just being in all those huge battles. Shane Carwin is a few years older than Noguera, but doesn't have all that wear and tear on him. So he feels that maybe in mixed martial arts, while you know the age certainly is somewhat of a factor, um, he feels that maybe the the time you spend in the sport might be more important than... The, the age of the competitor just because, you know, there, there's just so much wear and tear a guy can get in uh, a fairly short amount of time. It's well put. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it wouldn't surprise me to see either guy win. I, I guess, yeah, if I had to, you know, solidify. I mean, yeah, I could see Frank Mir pulling off a submission, but uh, that's just kind of based on – I've seen more Frank Mir in, in, in ring, you know, in, in the cage fighting. So we shall, uh, we shall see. I'm excited either way, though. Yeah, it, it's a really hard one to pick, um, you know, uh, like both of you guys are kind of saying. Um, and a lot of that is due to the fact that we don't know a whole lot about uh, Carwin. Because, you know, say Frank Mir kind of elects a strategy of uh, slowing things down. 
which he has done in the past. I mean, he made it very clear that that was his strategy against Noguera, was that he was intending to win a decision in that fight. And, uh, you know, like, we have no idea if Carwin can go two rounds. I mean, one would assume he could, but, you know, maybe the reason he gets so many first-round knockouts is just that he fights at a pace that he can't sustain. Yeah. yeah. So um, there, there's a lot of big question marks. I would lean towards Frank Mir just because he's more of a proven commodity um, if I was nailed down to it. Um, And probably I would lean more towards the submission just because I feel that's where he's got a bigger advantage. Um, Striking, both of them seem to be quite proficient at that. Frank Mir has made leaps and bounds in the last few years. Um, But, you know, I haven't seen anything that suggests that Carwin's got a submission game. Uh, He's clearly got the wrestling game, but, Mm -hmm. you know, taking down... Frank Mir, kind of a death witch. Right, yeah. I mean, you'd want to be very careful with that because, uh, as uh, Brock, Brock Lesnar will tell you in his first fight, uh, after his first fight in the UFC, that uh, just because you get someone on the ground and you're in a dominating position doesn't mean you can't lose. So, in- interesting stuff for sure. We'll, uh, well, let's hope that Frank Mir wins by submission or, or all three <laughs> of us are going to be wrong. Well, Tony didn't actually make a pick. Yeah, I mean, he said he could see it. Yeah, he could see it. yeah, I don't. I, I can there, imagine that. Yeah, but I can. I could see it going either way. <laughs> like the head head if head I get a pin down, yeah. although I'm not going to be as brave as Matt and yeah. uh, and make the round call. Yeah. That was quite ballsy. That's round two. <laughs> uh, Tiago Alves. Yeah, taking on John Fitch. Yes. So mm. some of the latest contenders for GSP's title. That's a rematch, is it not? It is, yeah. And um, John Fitch won the previous fight, but Tiago Alves has improved a lot, mm-hmm. particularly in his takedown defense since then. So I think this is a, a very interesting fight. As far as most people are concerned, um, John Fitch is the number two welterweight in the world, and Tiago Alves is probably the number three welterweight yep. in the world. So this is, um, I mean, if you're looking at a number one contender match, this is the one. Um, I mean, there, there's clearly other names that are floating around there. Josh Koscheck has been very vocal that he deserves one, but we'll see how he does against Paul Daly before that can be uh, really taken as a serious thing. And uh, Paulo Tiago. Yeah, don't forget the legend killer. Yes. Uh, well, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. The guy who beat Josh Koscheck <laughs> most recently and has uh, become quite a proven badass in the last uh, year uh, since we didn't even know who he was. When he showed up and beat Josh Koscheck, Paulo Thiago is uh, turning into uh, quite a contender himself. He lost to John Fitch also at uh, at UFC 100, mm. but you know that's that's a fight that there's no shame in losing, and uh, he, he's shown that he's extremely well rounded. He uh, he is now knocked out essentially two of the three members of uh, the AKA uh, welterweight trifecta. Yep. Um, Just needs to get the win back against John Fitch. You know? Yeah, which is a tough one. But yeah, um, yeah. for all practical purposes, this is the number one contendership fight, um, especially if uh, John Fitch wins. I mean, if Tiago wins, then it's like, well, his last fight was against George St. Pierre, and it might be a little bit early to uh, put him back against then. But um, for John Fitch, he will have fought three fights before this one and then going in there against... Uh, Tiago Alves, which is, you know, has a big proving fight. So if he can win this fight, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a rematch between George St. Pierre and John Fitch. Although, truth be told, that's really not a fight that I'm 
too excited about. Well, that, that's what I was going to mention because, uh, yeah, from a record standpoint, I mean, John Fish could definitely, you know, with a win or earn a rematch. But as far as the marketing goes, and the UFC's definitely been, uh, you know, especially once it's, if it would be a rematch for the title and it wasn't a competitive first fight, I could see them being a little slow to pull the trigger and maybe make um, John Fitch win nine fights in a row again before he gets another title shot. Who, who knows? But, uh, you know, honestly, and again, not saying this will happen, but the welterweight division would be a lot more exciting if Dan Hardy knocked out GSP because then you wouldn't have to worry about who the next – you just throw anybody, you know, any of these top yeah. guys for the next title shot because um, a lot of the reasons against having, you know, like, say, a cost check come up and – or, you know, with another win, fight GSP or, or, or Fitch or an Alves because they've all already lost to GSP. Yeah, the politics are there, right? Right, you yeah. Mucking everything up. Well, right. that and just like, you know, like, do I really want to see John Fitch fight George St. Pierre? It's not even that, you know, it's already happened, but it's like it happened and it was such a dominating victory. It wasn't like it was a two-minute fight where some guy gets clipped. I mean, he beat his ass for 25 minutes. And has John Fitch done anything different since then? Yeah. Like, style-wise, I mean. And, and John Fitch... Uh, continues to be the second best welterweight in the world, but he really hasn't evolved to the point where it's like now he can beat George St. Pierre. Like there's nothing that he's done in the last three fights that tells me like this man can now go in there and beat George St. Pierre. Right. So who knows? It'll be uh, mm. things might be a bit more clear after uh, after Saturday. Every yeah. Once while, every once in a while they'll you know make it sounds like uh, George St. Pierre needs to get knocked out. Get things really interesting in there. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of politics with that. that well, I mean, that's just, I mean, well, that's that's every, you know, kind of long-standing champion. I mean, it happens. I don't even know if it's politics so much as that's just kind of what well, the fight you, game yeah. yeah. The I lack mean, for a better phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the same could be said for Anderson Silva, although he's had a little bit of an attitude about it where, you know, he, he's kind of been picking people he wants to fight instead of fighting the rematches against right. some of the tougher guys. Um, but that's, that's a whole other argument. But, I mean, anytime you've got a guy who has gone in there and cleared out the division... B.J. Penn's another guy that you can say that's approaching that level. I mean, should B.J. Penn dominate Frankie Edgar like everyone is expecting him to? Then it's like, well, then what? Exactly. Um, good problem to have for them, I guess. That's a good problem fighters. for B.J. Penn to have. Yeah. <laughs> the UFC cross their fingers that Gomi beats Florian and then they can have another title contender? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so, um, I mean, they love situations. As much as Dana White blasted uh, the Shogun Machida fight uh, and, and the call on it, you know, <laughs> at least that gave him something to uh, to put on for the fans because, yeah. I mean, had Machida won that fight cleanly and, uh, you know, destroyed Shogun, it's like, who knows what would be going on for the, the upcoming light heavyweight title shot. They would have no real good contenders, um, especially with uh, the way Rashad Evans uh, won the fight against uh, Tiago uh, Silva, where it was yep. not the most convincing of wins, and then Rampage has been taking a hiatus and is finally coming back. They, they don't really have anyone that would really be truly deserving of a title shot, especially against the guy who has been so dominant up until that last fight as Lyoto Machida. Yeah, it really goes back to it. It's, it's surprising to say, but yeah, like the heavyweight division is now now not necessarily the most exciting, but as far as title contenders go, you have all these different options, whereas you don't necessarily have those in a lot of the other weight classes right now. Yeah, this is not only is it the first time ever probably in the history of the UFC uh, heavyweight division, but I can't really think of any other weight classes where you can say like there are five guys in the in the UFC heavyweight division that I could easily see any one of them being the champion in yeah. one year. Yeah. And that is Brock Lesnar, he is the champion. Frank Mir, 
Shane Carwin, Cain Velasquez, and Junior Dos Santos. Mm. Any one of those guys could be the title holder one year from now. It's quite possible that one of them is not even going to, you know, the road won't even go that far. Um, you know, Junior Dos Santos, for example, they might just keep building them up for an entire year. But any of those guys is a clear possibility. Like, there's not one of them that you can just say, like, oh, yeah, he's not going to be the champion. Right. And that's pretty wild. Like, you know, Yeah, they all have very strong cases for... Yeah. Know. And Brock Lesnar has shown extreme dominance, but at the same time, it's just like, so have all these other guys. And it's not the same in the other divisions. Uh, you know, you look at uh, welterweight, and while stuff happens, you know, like, who's going to be the champion at welterweight in a year? Probably George St. Pierre. Yeah, unless, you know. he, unless he injures himself again. Or, or moves up to moves 185, up, yeah, moves which up, moves uh, up, is yeah. something everyone would love to see, but... Uh, you know, he, he's been kind of non-committal on that when when directly asked. So it's something we might see in the future. He has talked about putting on a little bit of weight, though. Yeah. Um, building some muscle mass. I saw him jumping with weights on his back in the last UFC primetime. Ooh. Ooh. So, so that that could be okay. something interesting down the line. You know, um, we might see a year from now. Mm. Assuming uh, you know George St. Pierre dominates his next couple of fights, like you know we all assume he will. Uh, you know, that's something we'd all love to see. Um, that that really shake things up in two weight classes. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily expect him to beat Anderson Silva, but um, you know, he could beat a lot of the other guys. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I, the the Anderson Silva fight is what people would really want to see, but I mean, you've got to give the. I, I, I'd want to give him a couple fights in that weight division, you know, to get used to the weight, and then you know, yeah, it, it'd be kind of tough throwing him with like one of the most dominant fighters in the. Vision. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's exactly what they've done to BJ Penn now a few times where, you know, I mean, he's gone up as far as uh, middleweight, but he's always been kind of a, a glorified lightweight just moving up and, you know, he's been getting by more on skill than on being as strong as these other guys. And he is certainly strong as hell for his weight, you yep. um, as is proved by the way he's just completely outmuscled these guys at his own weight. But when you're going up there and your first fight is uh, George St. Pierre, it's like, well, yeah, what do you expect? Yeah, I mean, honestly, BJ Penn would probably beat a lot of the other welterweights. It's just, you know, when you're t- taking on the champion immediately, it's, uh, yeah, it's a tough prospect for sure. And I would I would love to see BJ Penn fight a lot of the guys, you know, maybe not George St. Pierre, but I can see him fighting either of, uh, you know, Tiago Alves or John Fitch, uh, you know, Josh Koscheck, uh I mean, even Dan Hardy. A lot of those fights would be fun. Mm. And, uh, you know, the same could be said for Anderson Silva at, or not Anderson, George St. Pierre at middleweight. Uh, there's a lot of fights for him up there. And that's kind of what Anderson Silva's been doing, where instead of, you know, he didn't just jump right at a title fight, um, which he probably could have done, um, not not anymore, not that Machida's the champion, but, you know, he's been fighting his regular fighters. He fought, uh, you know, James Irvin, who, as we've said before, wins some spectacularly, and he lost that one spectacularly. Yes. And then uh, Forrest Griffin, who is a former champ, but, you know, was never really regarded as being the best fighter at his weight. Even when he was holding the belt, a lot of people felt that he didn't win the fight against Rampage. So, um, you know, I mean, Anderson, I think, has been playing the move up and weight a lot smarter than mm. uh, some of these other guys. And, you know, I would love to see a George St. Pierre Anderson Silva fight, but I don't think that's going to be, you know, it would be unwise for George St. Pierre to uh, jump right into that, and he seems like a pretty smart guy. So yeah, exactly. So uh, again, once 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 Saturday rolls through, we'll probably have a bit more clarification on you know 
if George St. Pierre feels like he's cleaned out the division or, you know, what, what the next challenge for him at, at welterweight will be. So, uh, a couple other fights. I mean, those are, those are the big name fights on the card, but there's a couple other Ben Saunders, who's coming off a pretty devastating KO win over uh, Marcus Davis. Mm-hmm. Killed him with knees. Uh, I believe that's the first time Davis has been knocked out, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's formerly a pro boxer who had a, a pretty decent career as a boxer. He's done like 15 or 16 and one. He had that one last, like, I ain't going to make any money here because that's the way boxing is. So he moved on to mixed martial arts, and I believe he got uh, a technical knockout against him once uh, from a cut, but that that doesn't really say anything about your chin. But, you know, other than that, his loss has been submission or uh, or decision, and he's always been kind of a good gatekeeper. But, man, he just got slaughtered against Ben Saunders. So and that was that was a pretty big statement for Saunders. Yeah, yeah, I think that might, I think that was uh, yeah Marcus Davis's first KO loss, and uh, yeah, so Ben Saunders is coming back off of that win, and he's taking on Jake Ellenberger, uh, so that should be uh, I think that's on the main card as well, probably one of the the first fights on there. That should be a good one. I, I would think Saunders should probably take that one. Yeah, it's been interesting because Saunders definitely shows he has the power, but then he he took that uh, pretty tough loss to Mike Swick, so uh, we'll we'll see how he uh, because you know I think he, you get a couple. I think it takes several fights in the UFC or just several fights in one organization to kind of like find your your footing. And yeah, I think he's uh, like a lot of these younger guys. Many people are still kind of adapting and yeah. learning, learning the game. Well, also Saunders against Swick was uh, Saunders' first big move up in terms of name. Yeah, like that was uh, like he was really kind of under the radar up until that point. He was on uh, the Ultimate Fighter season six. And, you know, he had had a few wins in the UFC, but they were against guys who were kind of nobodies. And then he gets this fight against Mike Swick, who is, you know, another one of those kind of fringe top ten guys. You're not sure if he's top ten or, you know, the, the, the upper regions of the, the top 20. Um, but, you know, he, he's a name fighter. He's one of those people that your average fan is going to recognize. And, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes you just get starstruck. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily why he lost that fight. Uh, but, it, you know, it was a big step up in terms of uh, name competition, oh and that, that can definitely mean something. And, and he got caught, but it was a competitive fight up until that point. He wasn't just getting his ass kicked. Right. Yeah, so he's taking on Jake Ellenberger, who's uh, 22-5, and five, which uh quite a, quite a large resume. And uh, coming, his last one, I believe, was uh, looks like Mike coming off a TKO uh, win over Mike Pyle at UFC 108. Mm. Uh, Pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Uh, We've been seeing a lot of that lately. Yeah, I mean, and he, I'm a fan of seeing fighters fight more, honestly, as long as, you know, the thing is it's always the injuries and, you know, how willing they are to fight. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think especially, uh, I guess, you know, Jake Allenberg's not really a, a young up-and-comer. He's, again, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, 22 wins. But uh, the younger guys fighting more often because, you know, they recuperate faster, that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, as long as no one's seriously injured and you're not, uh, you're not uh, make, taking shortcuts or anything like that or, you know, Essentially, putting your you know body at risk or anything like that. Yeah. You know, shorter training camps or quick turnaround. I'm I'm a fan of that. Um, yeah. So Jake Ellenberger went over Mike Pyle before that was a loss to Carlos Condit. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I can see this being a, a good fight. You know, I, I don't have a lot of you know honestly a lot of deep thoughts on that. I I haven't seen a lot of Jake Ellenberger despite him being around for a while. I just haven't seen too much of him. Uh, you know, Ben Saunders. I've seen his last couple fights. So. Um, but yeah, I, I could see Ben Saunders maybe getting a maybe getting a KO or TKO on this. But uh, you know, just with uh, Ellenberger's experience, I mean, he's got 14 TKOs or KOs and several submissions, taking a couple decision wins, and uh, he he has looks like he hasn't been finished either. He's got a, a submission loss and a couple decision losses. But uh, 
So uh, maybe Ben Saunders could add another person to his list of people who haven't been finished that he's finished. Or uh... yeah, and once again, Saunders is going to have that huge reach advantage in this fight. I mean, he's something like six five or six six, ridiculously tall guy at one seventy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a. I mean, he was he was well matched up with Mike Swick in that aspect where they both had that kind of long gangly reach. Uh, yeah, he he's six two, but he's got a he's got a mm. pretty big. That reach. was way off. Yeah, no, but uh, Ooh, well, maybe I guess I saw him fight somebody short or something. Yeah. Maybe well, Marcus <laughs> Davis isn't exactly tall, so yeah, it could be. I don't know. But yeah, I was thinking he was taller than that. But yeah, so he's got a couple inches on Jake Ellenberger. Um, we also got Jim Miller taking on Mark Bocek, which uh, Miller was coming off a pretty impressive win his last. He just fought Ludwig, right? Yeah, and he was. I mean, I, I don't think many people were surprised that Jim Miller won, but again, it was the the manner in which he won. Yeah, he actually he actually beat Ludwig up on the feet before uh, pulling off a, a submission on him, which uh, you know people familiar with Jim Miller. The submission wasn't surprising, but again, like throwing together some good, uh, you know, stand-up combos on uh, on someone who really only fights standing up. Yeah, I mean, Ludwig cool. is. Uh, um, I mean, I know in mixed martial arts they throw the word world class around a lot, but I mean, Ludwig, I believe, uh, has done some uh, K1 style fighting, and he's an outstanding kickboxer in terms of uh, mixed martial arts standards. Um, and uh, yeah, he got uh, he got dropped. In this fight, which was uh, really surprising, then just had the submission clamped on, very similar to the the Frank Mir uh, fight against Czech Congo. Right, where it was surprising not not the ending, but how they got there. So yeah, yeah, very interesting. And uh, I can't remember Mark Bocek's last fight, so I will I will confirm with the internets. Excellent. But uh, another guy who's who's been around for a bit, uh, the last couple I think the last couple of UFCs, but uh, coming off a win over Joe uh, Joe Brammer. Brammer? Oof, up the uh, Ultimate Fighter 10 finale. Uh, before that, he had uh, two submission, or he's he's pulled off uh, looks like three submission wins in a row, all uh, all rear, rear naked chokes. So, uh, so he's got a go-to move. Yeah, yeah, his bread and butter, as it were. Yeah, he's got a five five rear naked choke victories. It looks like. Oh wow, on, on his record. So uh, if Jim Miller can defend, because clearly the only aspect of the game you have to worry about is how your opponent has won his last fight. So <laughs> there's no other way your opponent can possibly win than the way he won his last fight. But you know, well, if you Jim, got five in there, yeah. Jim Miller's just got to cover his neck, don't give up the back, <laughs> and clearly he'll win easily. Yeah. Now. Well, and Jim Miller is a outstanding jujitsu guy. This is kind of the uh, the wrestler versus jujitsu match. So I mean, uh, one would think that uh, Bocek would uh, score the takedowns and probably win the takedown battle. But it's what happens from there. You know, he gets swept, he gets submitted. And he'll probably get tagged standing up on the way towards the takedown. Because I think Jim Miller is going to have the edge there. So this is a, a fairly interesting fight. Because sometimes you get a situation where there's a guy who's better standing up and technically better on the ground. But they lose the takedown battle. Mm. And while they may be uh, better in terms of like slapping on submissions, um, th- there's all these guys that you know can just avoid the submissions and stay down and pound on you for the whole fight and get the victory. So th- that's that's probably the biggest uh, chance I see from uh, Mark Bocek in that particular fight, but I see it as a definite possibility. Yeah. Yeah, and another um, – I'll be interested to see definitely what Miller brings if, if that – you know, his stand-up against Ludwig was kind of a – I mean, obviously he wouldn't have forgotten how to do that, but, you know, if that's something, <laughs> he could, he, if that's something he's looking to kind of repeat and improve on or if it was just something he kind of pulled out for, for, for that fight specifically – who knows if he's really devoted himself to really, you know, uh, keep growing in his stand-up game, and we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see how that uh, comes out. 
uh, I think undercard stuff, and we got a couple of the prelims on Spike. I know um, uh, one of them is going to be Nate Diaz versus Rory Markham, which should be a no. It's just gangsterish. Those those Diazes, you know, they the they, they keep brothers. it street. Yeah. F the F and Diaz brothers. Yeah, is this because uh, I, I remember Nate Diaz saying he was gonna he was gonna switch up his weight class. So I think this is his first. Uh, First, uh, okay, he's tired of cutting yeah. weight for the money that he makes. Is, yeah, uh, pretty much what he's been getting at. So is his first dabbling in. Uh, Rory Malcolm is a he's a welterweight, right? I think so. I, I believe he fought Dan Hardy. Yeah, he fought Dan Hardy. So yeah, that'd be a, a welterweight. Yes. So um, yep. So that'll be interesting to see how the uh, you know now the the weight sometimes makes a big difference, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, some guys are really again sucking a lot of fluids out of his body, and he's slow and you know ragged and not rehydrated. And then that can make a big difference. Um, and, you know, I, Nate Diaz has never come across to me as the guy who's like tired in the ring or exhausted, but uh, he likes to shrink down so he can you know be a little a little quicker and bully you know his, his opponent, right. which is a fine you know um, right. So we'll fine see if, strategy. Yeah. So so I mean, someone is yeah. picking on someone his own size, kind of. Well, the only thing that I think makes this a good move is when you look at his older brother, Nick, as a model. Yeah. Uh, who Nick does uh, occasionally fight as low as 160. I don't know that he's ever made 155, uh, but he, he's, he's fought down at lightweight at 160. And, you know, he did okay there, but he's had kind of mixed success. And, um, I mean, he's fought at, at as high as uh, 185 and has had great success over in strike force in the uh, heavier weights and granted you know the strike force pool is not nearly as deep as the UFC's pool so that's not saying as much but you know he he uh, can certainly look at his big brother and be like well he's doing that i can do that right that said he's um had his biggest problems in the sport against wrestlers who can hold him down yep. and that's the classic example of what i was just bringing up in that last fight where you know he is a very skilled boxer and he is very skilled on the ground, but he is, he fought a handful of wrestlers. Uh, he fought Clay Guida was one of them. Joe Steven was one of them. And in his own words, uh, you know, I, I fought these guys who refused to fight me, and I lost the decision. And I don't I don't know that I would quite put it that way, but um, he can be neutralized with wrestling. And if you're worrying about the wrestling at lightweight, just wait till you run into the wrestlers at welterweight because that's the that's the wrestlers division. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I think the weight might do good on him, but I think the competition he's going to run into is actually probably going to be a worse style matchup for him. Yeah, and, and we'll see. I, I don't think uh, Rory Markham will have much to offer in the wrestling department. Um, yeah, well, this this one fight. Yeah, but it, it's kind of like, you know, get your toes wet in the division and then, you know, go from there. But, uh, yeah, definitely more than weight that Nate Diaz is going to have to worry about um, down, down, the, down the road if he's going to stay in the division. Uh, other fights on the uh, the undercard: Matt Brown versus Ricardo Almeida. Uh, we also got uh, Rodney Wallace, Jared Harmon, and a lot of other fighters. I don't recognize. Oh, Kurt Pellegrino uh, versus Fabricio Camois. Hmm. Uh, and Matt Riddle from uh, one of the. Oh, I'm not even going to remember what season of the Ultimate Fighter he was from. Was season but, seven. But that was uh, yeah, yeah, that was the same one with Amir and uh, CB Dalloway, right? And Matt Brown. And Matt Brown. That's right. Uh, yeah. So Matt Riddle will be taking on Greg Soto. So. Uh, no, again, no deep thoughts on those, but uh, I like the Matt Brown and yep. uh, Ricardo Almeida fight. Um, okay, I, I I like Matt Brown. He uh, he's one of those guys. He had this real like tough guy persona on the show, <laughs> but is really 
proven himself to be uh, a really thinking man's mixed martial artist since then. He's really improved his game a whole lot since then. He he lost his first fight after coming off the show, I think, but has put it together a pretty nice string of wins. I think he's coming off the uh, victory over the season nine winner, um, uh, the British guy. Uh, I think it was yeah James Wilkes. Yes, and um, yeah, he's he's talked about like how he reads these sports psychology books, and he's just like he's really into uh, uh, dedicating himself to the sport, and he he. You know, he, like I said, he he's shown that he's really improved in a lot of ways, um, and he's very well rounded too. He he's got like if you just look at his record, it's really not anything impressive. He's got a handful of losses on there. I think he's got like seven losses and only something like ten wins. But you know, he was like six and six when he was on the show, so he he certainly strung up um, a lot more momentum than he's ever had before. And uh, I think he primarily likes to work on the ground these days. And that's going to be Ricardo Almeida's strong suit. He's he's more of a jujitsu guy. I believe he's got one of the uh, the best guillotines in uh, in the sport, is what I've heard. So uh, this should be interesting to see. I, I think that uh, Matt Brown is probably the more well-rounded one, and I'd hope to see him win, just because I think that would uh, I think that would make things a little more interesting. Plus, his nickname's the Immortal. So yes, <laughs> he, he pick has inside him blood of kings. Yeah, Highlander. No, I got it. Good one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was about it. There was a lot of uh, a lot of UFC to talk about. We yeah. had the, the, and this is, it's we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. It's, it's going to start rolling. I mean, we got a lot of fights coming up. I think there's actually, and I'm not going to break it down because we don't, we've been talking for like an hour and a half, but there's a Strike Force Challengers card, I think, this Friday as well. So you get a lot of MMA mm. this weekend. Mm. Well, we'll be there. And we will report on it when we hear you next week. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. We had a really good show, and you should tell your friends that we did, too. Sharon is caring. Please. <laughs> you know, don't keep us to yourself. Uh, yeah. All right. So on iTunes, here at MMATorch.com, leave a comment, go to the forum. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're the audio show. I am Greg Rowland. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Matt Collins. We'll get you next time. You know, blow each other's faces up.